0: Good morning once again. Thanks for all the singing and Richard for helping us understand the communion and the Pacific Island greeting this morning from New A and Samoa. How was New A, Aiden? The thumbs up. That's the equivalent of awesome. So good news, on Friday night, uh, Lee Nori was baptized into Christ. So... I said it privately, but also say it publicly, it was a real joy and privilege to study the Bible with him over the past several weeks, and it's very clear and evident that God has been moving in his life over the past five or six years, really bringing him to the conclusion, I want to do this right, I want to follow Jesus and his teachings, and amen. It was awesome to see that happen. Praise God for that. Also, Megan and Modique are currently in Australia for the staff women's retreat. Once a year, the men go over to Australia and have a staff retreat, and then once a year The women go over there and have a staff retreat as well. So they're over there. Megan's actually preaching tomorrow night to all the women, which is very exciting. She's preaching from Acts chapter 11. So when we get to that point, maybe I'll kind of use her lesson (laughs) just in case it's a really awesome one. When we get to Acts chapter 11, she she'll take credit for that. And I'll, I'll just say it I'll I'll just speak it kind of like a lip sync. And also it was, it's, it's a great to participate in the hope day of giving as well. Thanks Duncan for helping us understand that. And of course, Gilad and Amber going over to Papua New Guinea. That'll be awesome. And praise God for all that. And we're in the book of Acts this morning. So if you turn over there, we're in chapter one, reading the latter half of the first chapter, working our way through the book of Acts. So this morning we're looking at verses 12 through 26, but... There's 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 a lot of areas in life that there's a contrast of before and after. And you've probably seen these, whether it's physical fitness or home renovations or whatever it is, but in in home renovations specifically, because our house flooded back in two thousand 10 or 11 in America, and we had to be displaced for about a month, a month and a half, and, and so they renovated our house. So that's not our house, by the way. That's, that's just a picture. I wish it was, would have been, but, but before, they, you know, you can see it on the top. There's some definite work that needs to be done, but the after picture looks really nice, Right. And so that, that's a cool thing. It's, it's not great before, but after it's really awesome. And so this morning we get a real privilege to look at the really last before picture in the New Testament before the Holy Spirit arrives of what the church looked like. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 26, the, the disciples are all together and they're praying and they're about to choose another person to take Judas's place. But it's the last time that they're really together before the Spirit comes. And so we we get a before picture of what they look like, and after the Spirit comes, through the rest of the book of Acts, it'll really be supercharged, because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of the church, inside of the believers, and it'll carry the church throughout the rest of the book of Acts, throughout the rest of the New Testament, throughout history, until Jesus returns. So it's important to look at what did it look like before, and because we have the Spirit dwelling inside of us now, how ought we look today? Because of the Holy Spirit, let's pray together and then read starting at Acts chapter one. God, we are so grateful to be before you and to take communion, to really worship our Lord and Savior Jesus who laid down his life. And I pray that as we look at your words this morning, that yeah, because we have the spirit, it really brings our minds and, and hearts to align with your mind and your heart and help us really be called to action from the scriptures. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 1, we'll start in verse 12 and read to verse 26. Then Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. It's about a kilometer. It's a cool place for Jesus to ascend because every time they see that mountain now, what memory will they connect? The ascension. It's visible from quite a distance around the area. And in verse 13, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. This, what I believe, is the first brother's flat. (laughs) And that's why the women have to come in in verse 14. That's why they're all praying together, because... Lord, be with these brothers in this flat. That, that's, that's not an insight, that's an outside. Yeah. But in verse 14, they all joined constantly together in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And it's very encouraging to know that his brothers are here participating in this fellowship. Why? Because earlier they don't believe in Jesus. They say, yeah, Jesus, you want to be a big star. You go yourself, show yourself to the masses. We don't really think you're the real deal. But now, because he did appear to one of his his half brothers, now they're worshiping, they're praying with the disciples, the very brothers of Jesus, which is inspiring. And in verse 15, in those days... Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Our church here in Auckland, a group numbering about 120 or so, 125, I think. So that's pretty cool to imagine. Not that we parallel that church, but we want to imitate that. Amen. And in verse 16, he said, Brothers and sisters, The scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And and you also have to be reminded that Peter denied Jesus three times, gets reinstated. And you have to imagine his insecurity now, because he is kind of a vocal one while Jesus is on earth and he's leading kind of. One of the spearhead figures for the apostles. But after this denial, you have to imagine, as we all, as we all have experienced, when you make a mistake or a public mistake, it, it kind of takes, t- takes a toll on your security. Yeah. And so I'm sure that happened for Peter. But now imagine as he's standing up and, and now he starts to preach again. He says, hey, here's what we got to do. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a great testament to, hey, if you make mistakes, you can still get back in the game. God still, God still can use us in a variety of ways as he used Peter here. There's a, parenthet- a parenthetical citation in verse 18. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. I have a slide up No, I don't have a slide of that. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, al which is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. But one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. That's a great, that is the criteria to be an apostle of Jesus. You have to be with him from John's baptism till he's ascended and be a witness of that. And so that only applied to a certain group of people in a certain context. And so Paul, as one abnormally born, has an encounter with the risen Jesus and he appoints him as an apostle and he knows that and he cites his interaction with Jesus as his criteria for being an apostle. But anyone claiming in modern day times to be an apostle has has a, a misunderstanding of what that role was biblically. It's 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 limited they didn't they didn't carry that on there's no apostolic succession in the New testament, and in verse twenty three they do replace Judas, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as justice, so he has three names, which one are and matthias verse twenty four then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, show us which of these two You have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry with Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they played the lottery. They cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So this is a a really cool passage because 40 days have elapsed since Jesus has resurrected. Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection. Jesus in chapter 1, it says he taught them about the kingdom of God for 40 days. So they're about 10 days away until Pentecost comes. They're all filled with the Spirit. They're all staying together in the same room. You have to imagine that it's quite a time of anticipation. Because Jesus' last words were, wait until you receive power. In Jerusalem, And so here you find this group of about 120. They're, they're constantly together. They're praying. And then Peter says, we got one note of business before the Spirit comes. Let's replace Judas and put Matthias in his place. And, and so all of these things are taking shape. And, and, and we see the last instance of the church before the Holy Spirit. Because in Acts chapter 2, everything points to really Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes. You know the story, which we'll study next week. And it's awesome. For the rest of the book of Acts, for the rest of the Bible, until now. But here's the last instance we see them. And so let's look at three things that I believe the Bible has to show us about what they look like before and how we can be after with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This church we see in Acts chapter 1 had passion, they focused on prayer, and they had proper Bible study. Passion, prayer, and proper Bible study. That's before the Spirit comes. After the Spirit, all of those three get supercharged. And it'd be awesome if we interviewed our members and said, how would you describe the church in Auckland? Oh man, it's passionate. It's, they, they emphasize prayer. They emphasize proper Bible study. I don't know what you would say. I, I think we're very family oriented, but man, they, this, this is what they looked like before the Holy Spirit. Point one, let's talk about passion. In verse 12, it says, they returned to Jerusalem. And then later on in verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Now, the word together used in verse 14 is also the same one used in chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one Place. So, twice in, in the context of a few verses, Luke will use this word together. They're all together here, they're all together there. And it's used 12 times in the New Testament. 10 of those times it's used in the book of Acts, that word together. Now, translated into the Greek, it's a word homothubodon, which that probably makes no sense to you. But here's why it's important it's a combination of two of these words homo meaning one, homo sapien, one race. Thumos is where we get the word for passion. It's like something, it's like you heat a pot of water and it boils up and it overflows. That's, there's passion. And so when you combine these two, Luke is saying that the early church, they were together, but they were homo thumadon. They were one, there was one passion. This, this is before the Holy Spirit. There was one passion that united them in Acts chapter 1 verse 14. They were all together. There they they were one passion in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. That's a really cool picture of the early church before the Spirit even arrives. One passion. There's this overflowing, unified energy that's visible among the early church. And that's before the Holy Spirit comes. Now that same word is used several different times in the book of Acts after the Holy Spirit comes as well. So they're passionate before the Holy Spirit, but they're passionate on steroids when the Holy Spirit comes. Yeah. Acts chapter 2 verse 46. Every day this is after this is when the first converts had been converted. Every day they continued to meet together. That's the same word. Homo they could they continued to meet and they had one passion in the temple courts later on in chapter 4 verse 24 Peter and John go to prison and they church hears about it and the church starts praying and that's what this context is they raise their voices together same word with one passion they hear about Peter and John in prison they're praying together passionately and as a result of this Peter and John miraculously get released from prison that's awesome Later on in chapter 5, verse 12. All the believers used to meet together. Same word. They used to meet with one passion in Solomon's colonnade. Chapter 15, verse 25. This is the Jerusalem council where there's... You know, we study this in Galatians where there's law versus grace. And what should we do with the Gentiles? They meet to talk about it. And they said they wrote a letter to send to the churches throughout the region. And the letter said, we all agreed. We all had one passion And here's what we decided. We chose these men to send this letter throughout the region. So over and over after the Holy Spirit arrives, there's still an emphatic passion among the church. And it's awesome. And, And that word is used several other times in the book of Acts, but it's used in a negative sense. When they stoned Stephen in Acts chapter 7, it says the crowd raised up together, dragged him out of the city and stoned him. That's also homo, homo thumana, but that's one passion. We're going to kill this guy. It's a mob mentality. It's the same thing in Acts chapter 19 when Paul's preaching. And there's a riot that comes as a result of his preaching. And it says, they all came together and seized Paul's companions. So there's, there's one passion. It's a mob seizing Stephen and seizing Paul's companions. One passion. That's what the early church is described as, as a result of the Holy Spirit. Paul, in his letters, uses this same word in Romans chapter 15, verse 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind. Attitude of mind, there in red, is the same word that Luke uses homo thumidon, where it's may you have one passion toward who each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind one voice you may glorify the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ even as he's admonishing the church he says, I want you to have one passion just like the early church had as a result of the Holy Spirit it was very visible very recognizable This group had one passion. In an orchestra, there's many, I don't know how many playing in this orchestra, but however many are, when each one plays a different note, they all unite together to form one unique sound. And it's amazing. If you've ever heard an orchestra play, and all these different sounds unite, and it's kind of one passionate Note one passionate sound in the church is made up of many different men and women with many different notes. You know what I mean? And we all come together, or we ought to come together because of the Holy Spirit. And although we have different notes, there should be one unified sounding passionate note in our church. The early church maintained this. Throughout the book of Acts. Now, this becomes practical in our lives because the Holy Spirit, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have that same spirit dwelling inside of you yeah. and in us, in our church. And so we ought to have this same passion. We ought to have a united passion, a visible, recognizable passion. And there's many things that unite. But in the, in the early church, they, they came together for the main reason of preaching the gospel to the, to the surrounding regions. And they were passionate about that. Over time, it's easy to lose your passion. You've been a disciple five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. When you start getting older and mature in the faith, it's easy to lose on the passion. In fact, Jesus says, because of the way the world is, the love of most will grow cold. People will lose their passion. And, and what does it look like on a, on a really practical level? I mean, we need to be passionate about helping people understand the gospel, okay? I think that's, that's a very definitive, clear thing in the book of Acts and the New Testament. But, you know, I, I, I love our church, and I, I do believe we do have passion, but I believe we could even be more passionate about spreading the gospel. Amen what would that mean practically? That means if you're passionate about it, whenever there's somebody that's really seeking God and they're trying to find God and there's a Bible study and and you say, hey man, I want you to be in this Bible study and you rearrange whatever it is you possibly can to help that person. Why? Because you're passionate about spreading the gospel. And absence of passion says, oh, I'd love to, but I... I gotta do this and that and whatever it may be, but a, a passionate approach says, I'm gonna try to make every effort to help someone understand on, the gospel or on a serving level. If there's, if there, hey, we get asked often, how, how can I serve, how can I serve? And then we throw out some ideas and, and the response is, uh, is there anything else? No, it's, it, whenever there's an opportunity, be passionate about an opportunity to serve. On, As our church grows, We'll pass on the passion we have now to our future converts. And if they come in and they see a group passionate about spreading the gospel, they'll be passionate and they'll pass on that same passion. If they get converted and they see someone mildly passionate, they'll pass on lukewarm passion and eventually it'll die out. The New Testament church was animated by the Spirit. Don't try to manufacture this. You have the Spirit inside of you. We need to have one passion. Are you passionate about what God's church is passionate about? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We can be passionate. Point number two, they focused on prayer. This is another characteristic worthy of imitation from the New Testament church. And they all shared the same passion for prayer. In fact, in verse 14, there were one passion, but there were one passion in prayer. In verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And it's not just until Pentecost that there's this emphasis on prayer. Here they, they are, they're up in the upper room and they're waiting and anticipating. And But after the Holy Spirit descends, you'll see an emphatic emphasis on prayer throughout the book of Acts. So after the spirit at Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they all joined together. Well, that's Acts chapter 1 verse 14. They joined together constantly in prayer. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. What did they devote themselves to? The early church, the breaking of bread and prayer. Acts chapter 6. There's a dilemma in the church and people need to be looked after. They say, well, let's choose some people to look after. And the apostles say, we're going to give our attention to prayer. And the ministry of the word. In Acts chapter 10. A Gentile, Cornelius, is praying to God. And at the same time, Peter. Is praying to God. And prayer unites them. Peter comes to his house. Preaches the gospel. And his whole household is baptized. Because of prayer. Later on. In Acts chapter 12. This is Peter. He's in jail again. Once more. And the church was earnestly praying to God. For him. Because In that context, James the Apostle had been beheaded by King Herod. Herod says, the crowd really liked that, I'll go for Peter next. And he gets Peter, he seizes Peter and puts him in prison. The church hears about it and oh boy are they praying. For Peter not to be beheaded. That's Acts chapter 12. And, 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 and later on, there's, there's many more instances of this emphasis on prayer. And many people had gathered and were praying. I believe that's Acts chapter 15. But So it's not just simply they said, hey, we're going to have a meal after church. Let's have a prayer. Amen. Right? It wasn't like, all right, kids, before we go to bed, we're going to say a prayer. We're about to have a church service. Let's say a prayer. I get the impression... They were drenched in prayer, soaked in prayer, saturated in prayer, especially when they were animated by the Holy Spirit. I mean, They were praying fervently before the Spirit comes, but after the Holy Spirit comes, their prayer is taken to another level. And I believe this is a high call for our church. One quote I read, I loved it, it said, prayer is the gymnasium of the soul. (laughs) That sounds good, eh? The guy on the left... What have you been doing? Oh man, I just got from a prayer. I'm sweating. Now, that's not what that means. doesn't mean you have to come away and say, What have you been doing, bro? You sweating? I've been praying. You know, that's, that's weird, honestly. But the concept is there's some, when you go work out in the gym, there's some level of intensity, there's some level of sweat, there's some level of, ah. And when we pray, it shouldn't just be token prayer. The early church, they, it was like they were exercising together there was this prayer and and it was this struggle there was this intensity in fact one time they pray and the ground shakes because the spirit filled the place where they were praying again if you were to interview our church say hey what what on a scale of one to ten how how much does this church pray how much does your bible talk pray together I think it's a, good, it's a good evaluation to say, well, when our groups come together, you know, you know, sometimes you come together and you have meetings and sometimes you come together. We had a fun time out west with the Vondees and a progressive dinner and a, the, something was going on in the North Shore. There's a lot of cool events we do. Keep doing that. But occasionally you can just come together and flat out pray. That's what they did. seems like that's what they were... Pray for what? Pray for our church to grow. Pray for us to have more staff. Pray for a new venue because the kids are outgrowing the venue. Pray for all kinds of things. But be fervent in your prayer. What prevents us from praying like this? Self-reliance and relying on other people instead of prayer. The New Testament church, they focused on it. We ought to as well since we're animated by the Holy Spirit. Third and last, proper Bible study. One of the things that really sent me for a loop as I read this passage was Judas being replaced by Matthias. Because there's so much scholarly debate. You can get lost in all the articles about why this happened. Should it have happened? Was it right that it happened? Because essentially Jesus says, go and wait in Jerusalem. Those are his instructions. There's no real specific recorded instruction to say, and while you're there, replace Judas. Now, there are some allusions to it in the gospel where Jesus says you'll rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. God chose 12 tribes of Israel to be a light to the world. He chose 12 disciples to be a light to the world likewise. Disciples, the apostles of the new Israel. And so there was this probably in the background, we need to have 12 before the spirit arise. But it's interesting, there's, there's no command. Matthias has no mention whatsoever after this encounter. So it wasn't like this had a... Okay, this needs to happen and look at the impact it made. Since now we're 12. Look at Matthias. He really stepped into his role and made a big impact. I mean, he's absent. He's silent. And so... But the reason, when, when when we read this, Peter stands up in verse 15 and says... Verse 16, rather. Brothers and sisters, the Scripture had to be fulfilled... In which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. You had to imagine this was kind of a dark time. They all were close to Judas, and here he is saying, now he's gone, betraying Jesus. That's that's the end result of what happens. And so he, but he says the scripture had to be fulfilled. And then in verse 20 he says for said Peter it is written in the book of psalms may his place be deserted let there be no one to dwell in it and may another take his place of leadership so Peter at some point somehow some way in these few days as he reflects on Judas's treachery and his death somehow these two psalms whether he's purposely reading them or the Holy Spirit guides them, he, they stick out to him. And he uses these two scriptures to say we need to take action. We need to replace Judas. In, in Judaism, in, in the early Christian church, it was a common practice. And in fact, still is. For a, I mean, Jesus says all of the scriptures point to me, right? All the scriptures point to him. And so when they read through the Bible now, they said, how, how can we find Jesus? What's, what's it talking about Jesus? And so as Peter now imitates that, he reads this Psalm 69, which if I were to read this, I wouldn't say Judas. <laughs> but what is Psalm 69 talking about? It's talking about David, King David, but it's just talking about anybody who's suffering innocently because his enemies hate him. And the enemy wants to attack him and hurt him. And so the psalmist says, make sure that person gets hurt himself. So that's kind of a broad stroke of that psalm. Is somebody getting attacked. No, no, no. Hey, may may their place be deserted and never to dwell in it again. That's pretty harsh sounding. But, and so they, they... they realized as they looked at this, and Jesus used Psalm 69 several times as well, but, but Peter looks at this and said, this, there's a general principle here. This is good exegesis. This is good Bible study. There's a, there's a general principle that says when somebody opposes somebody that's innocent, they better watch out. And the specific application of that would be Judas. He definitely opposed Jesus. He definitely treated Jesus wickedly, although Jesus was innocent. And then over in Psalm 109. Again, this is about David, but ultimately about Jesus. There's opposition to David, which is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And the conclusion of that psalm is for people that oppose David or Jesus, may they be removed and let somebody else take their place. That's kind of the broad principle or application. But again, as Peter reads this, and again, I I, I think if I put myself in this context, I don't read these passages and say, I know what we got to do, church. We need to replace Judas. But somehow this Bible study, Peter's Peter's personal Bible study from Psalm 69 and 109, he realized these general applications. He said the scripture had to be fulfilled. Here's two of these verses, and they apply to Judas. We need to replace him. And this is Peter's Bible study. Before the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come on, and so it's, it's, it's fascinating because afterwards, if you read through the book of Acts, for instance, in chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, goes on to speak to this group and expounds on Scripture. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, starts to recite the entire history of Israel, including Scripture. And so you see these guys, once once they're filled with the Spirit, their Bible study is illuminated. Their Bible study is enhanced. Paul, after conversion and filled with the Holy Spirit, reflects back on the Old Testament and sees, ah, it's not about law, it's about grace, illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Now they had proper Bible study before the Holy Spirit but it's enhanced as a result of the Holy Spirit. Now this becomes incredibly important as we study our Bibles especially the book of Acts. Because there are many interesting references to the Holy Spirit and conversion and etc. Acts chapter 2 for instance improper Bible study says this is what's supposed to happen everybody's supposed to speak in some ecstatic tongue. That's not really proper Bible study. Proper Bible study is what happened then and there. What did it mean then and there? And how can we apply it here and now? But our Bible study is enhanced by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we study through the book of Acts, we got to make sure we're having proper Bible study. What did this mean to them? And how can we apply it today? Lest we err on the side of grievous errors in the Bible. Our prayer... Our Bible study are both enhanced by the Holy Spirit. Our passion is also enhanced by the Holy Spirit. A lot of people say, how do I know God's will? How They're trying to figure it out here. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit. How can I figure out God's will? I don't know what it is. I'm trying to figure out my path. There is a verse in Thessalonians. It's one of the only in the New Testament says, God's will is for you to give thanks. And so you know God's will by reading your Bible Figuring out what the Bible says, praying, and being moved by the Holy Spirit. That's how you go about that. That's what they're doing here. They're praying, reading their Bibles, and coming to conclusions. As we see in the before picture of the church before the Holy Spirit, they are passionate. But after that, they're even more passionate. And we ought to be as well passionate about the mission because of the Holy Spirit. Before the Holy Spirit arrives, they're passionate about prayer. After it, it's supercharged. Likewise, we need to be characterized by intense, fervent prayer. And lastly, before the Holy Spirit, they had proper Bible study. Peter's preaching from the scriptures. But afterwards, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and they're brought to life on a church and on an individual level. As we look at this as a church, let the Holy Spirit help us increase our passion. Help us animate our prayer lives and enlighten our Bible study. All in effort to spread the gospel of Jesus to those here in Auckland, to those throughout New Zealand, and those in this spa region. And to the ends of the earth as we're all animated by God's Holy Spirit. Amen.